I literally, the reason I'm doing this right now is because I'm, I'm procrastinating other things I have to do. I was like, my brain's not really working enough to do the things I need to do. So I'll Let's just do the talk. Podcast. I'll just talk with my best friend. I can just, I can talk and bullshit around and have fun and learn about artists. But to make real decisions about life is not a good idea. How are you? Um, I'm good. I was just doing some artwork and rewatching episodes of F1. Oh. What I've been trying to get everyone into. Right. How is everyone about that? Everyone's so into it except for you. <laughs> so into it i really it. liked it but i wasn't so into it i think oh, i just no. was you know working everyone while else I was doing it which is a problem yeah you need to actually sit down and watch it everyone else that i'm having watch it they send me marco polars or text messages oh my god can you believe that ricardo went to reno and then oh poor like alex is trying to prove himself with red bull like everyone's getting so into it and so passionate wow and uh it makes me so happy makes me it <laughs> makes me sad that i'm not because i now i have a connection to it and i'm like can i i would love to just know things so i could sound like i knew what i was talking about the next time mm -hmm. i talked to my friend but <laughs> he's probably just gonna laugh at me and then i'm gonna say can i have some free coffee now and then you know oh yeah your f1 friend yeah well don't say that ricardo's with reno anymore because now he's with mclaren i wouldn't have even remembered that so it's fine <laughs> i almost thought you were mispronouncing reno you know it <laughs> oh, <that> sounds boring <laughs> so i encourage all 10 of our fans to go watch F1 Drive to Survive on Netflix. Do it. I've been watching just trash stuff that I don't have to pay attention to, like what I did. It had you. me laughing so hard. They used, we were watching M. William Paris. I, that's how trash I am. I was like, well, this I can just listen to and then look up and be like, wow, they're bad actors. And then <laughs> look back down. Although it did inspire oh. me to go to Van Gogh, like the immersive van gogh thing at denver art museum so that's cool i guess that's gonna be so much fun it's gonna I be can't awesome how expensive those tickets are i know some of them were like 120 dollars. i think that those ones come with like stupid shit like a poster and a puzzle or i don't know some mm. a van gogh puzzle and a a chair like a like a soft a cushion chair? to sit on when you're in there you know like a cushion that says van gogh and then you like sit on it if you're an old person maybe like on bleachers yeah i don't know <laughs> this is why i didn't buy those tickets i was like that seems like a waste of money it's like when you go to a baseball game and you get like a bobblehead and you're just like why mm -hmm. the fuck did i do that that was yep. stupid not that i <laughs> bought a bobble <laughs> usually they're just giving them away because nobody wants them yeah <sighs> um, um i just want to give a little heads up before we get started that in this episode we do talk about suicide and trauma so if that's particularly triggering for you maybe you skip this episode or are at least prepared and warned heading into this welcome to middlebrow middlebrow is a mostly contemporary art podcast hosted by two completely average human artists that's me olive moya and my best friend lindsay schultz we're average. We're artists. Uh, we talk about art. We try to be interesting. And it's for artists, but it's also for people who are interested in art and want to learn more, but feel intimidated. Trust us. We're right there with you.
we're also intimidated. I am ready. I didn't look at this because I love being surprised. I should probably fine. look at it before. Have you but... have you watched the documentary? No, I have not. Is it okay. on Netflix or where? Or it's no? on Hulu, so okay. people can go watch it. Okay, I recommend watching it if you haven't. But it's basically I'm just retelling the documentary here, okay. <laughs> so it's really well done, and it made me very excited about her and her work kind of just her attitude in general she's so cool damn look so. at her as a young beautiful mm-hmm. oh my god i would if i saw her walking down the street i would just turn and walk the other way because i'd be so ashamed of my face <laughs> i'd be like she's too cool to even be 20 feet from me i'm gonna walk the other direction yeah look at her damn i know george was <laughs> i get so insecure i was like so it's yayoi right yayoi he's like yayoi and i'm like okay yayoi I feel like that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, because I know when people say like yayoi, it's incorrect. Yeah. But I was like, it's yayoi. And he's like, yayoi. <laughs> I would love to have him here. <laughs> so, cool. well, so hopefully it's good enough. I'm trying. I've tried. I mean, you're probably trying way harder than literally anybody else. So I'm trying Any to learn the whole language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's trying to learn the whole language just about mm-hmm. this. So. So, Yayoi Kusama is a Japanese artist. She has a very complicated and heartbreaking. Oh, no. <laughs> but also really exciting. Her, her life is very much a roller coaster ride. So, okay. she was born March 22nd, 1929, in Matsumoto, Nagano, Japan, which is like east of Tokyo. Okay. It, what is it like? Like just another city or is it more rural or what? It's more rural. It's the worst word. <laughs> I can't even believe I said it one time and just said it okay. It's more rural. <laughs> My dad can't so say awkward. that word either and he's never been able to say the word mural. He says muriel. <laughs> I'm a fucking muralist and he still can't say it. it's muriel. Muriel. <laughs> That's like in Parks and Rec when they call it a murinal. <laughs> I think it's a common word, and rural is the same. R- rural. R- rural. <laughs> Who the fuck made that word up? That's a stupid word. That's difficult. What an idiot. Rural. rural. <laughs> um, rural. Yeah, it's much more agricultural. <laughs> I say it rural. But Evan, who's from an actual rural place, says rule. She said, My wish was to be a painter, so I started making a lot of art from the age of 10. Since my childhood, I was always painting dots. When I see them, my eyes got brighter, and I'm always moved. Hmm. So dots have been a thing forever. Literally ever, yeah. Well, she little baby in the center. Mm-hmm, Damn, her you. dad's a badass. Look at him. No, don't like the oh. dad. Damn it. I just like his haircut, though. I know. <laughs> and his bow tie. He does look yeah. very upset in this picture. And the mom looks <laughs> like she's about to cry. Well, I think this is like a collodion plate or... Uh, a what? The tintypes or things like that. That's called you collodion? Know? <laughs> you know, like Sally Mann's glass plates, the collodion wet plates? Is that why Nickelodeon is Nickelodeon? I feel like that's connected. <laughs> I'm going to... 
can I look at that? Nickelodeon's based on the the nickel, the nickel video thing. I think they were called Nickelodeons, where you put in a, a nickel. Yeah. Then, First yeah. five cent movie theaters called Nickelodeons. Yep. Gotcha. You put your head into these little binoculars and you wind it. Oh, oh, okay. I see what you're yeah. saying. But yeah, I was going to say, I think they look angry because it's like a tin type where you have to stay still, still for, for two minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they are chi- and they have tons of tiny little children. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, all four of you just don't fucking move right? a muscle. Sit still. Kids had a lot more respect because I think parents were way scarier back in the day. Oh, for- well, they could punch you in the face and no one was mad mm-hmm. about it. So absolutely. <laughs> Can you imagine trying <laughs> and- to, get to sit still for two minutes for a photo? Absolutely. It wouldn't happen. <laughs> Romeo can't even we do just like the shutter thing and he's still we can't get a good one (laughs) like it takes one every like half a second how can you not be still for half a second (laughs) she's the youngest of four children so she's the baby as you can see here with her is she cutest haircut is she funny she's serious I just know the babies are always funny Mm, maybe she would have if things turned out differently for her yeah okay so her parents didn't want her to be an artist her mom snuck up behind her and tore one of her drawings out of her hands what and yeah and then i don't know if she ripped it but she like yanked it out from her and this panic has been said to influence her practice because she makes these huge pieces in hours it's thought that like the speed at which she makes work is to finish work before it's torn from her. Someone needs to tell her that's not going to happen again because everyone <laughs> wants money <laughs> from her. <laughs> like, trust me, we'll yeah. wait as long as you need. Oh, that makes me sad. That's like some deep trauma shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. So here's one of her early pieces and you can see there's already that's dots crazy. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Just, so for people, it's like just a pencil on paper portrait, but there's dots all over it. Almost like a Lichtenstein. (laughs) It does. Yeah. So she made a deal with her mother that if she went to etiquette school, she could also go to art school. She made the deal, but she never attended (gasps) etiquette. Whoa, all right. She was like, gotcha. Yep. Uh, And her mother was furious. There was a great deal of tension with the family, too. Her father gave up his last name to carry on the Kusama name, which was because like the area that they were but it was I rural. also in all of japan is rural <laughs> um the kusama had the largest wholesale seed business so he took on their name and because of this powerlessness he had affairs with other women and oh, the mom would send baby. yeah the mom would send yayoi to spy on her dad witnessing no. him with different women why would you do that oh my yeah. god mistake after mistake yeah so she said quote i don't like sex i had an obsession with sex when i was a child my father had lovers and i experienced seeing him my mother sent me to spy on him i didn't want to have sex with anyone for years the sexual obsession and fear of sex sit side by side in me <sighs> so messed up so her mom obviously knew about what 
the dad was doing but couldn't do anything about it and ended up taking out a lot of her anger on her children i mean why did she need her to watch it i don't understand was she like okay now give me a play-by-play who knows so it was during this time when she began experiencing vivid hallucinations which she has since attributed as the inspiration behind many of her distinctive motifs polka dots flowers and of course pumpkins during these vivid hallucinations she describes flashes of light auras and dense fields of dots these hallucinations also included flowers that spoke to kusama and patterns in fabric that she stared at coming to life multiplying and engulfing or expunging her a process which she has carried into her artistic career and which she calls self-obliteration Kusama's art became her escape from her family and her own mind when she began to have hallucinations. She was reportedly fascinated by the smooth white stones covering the bed of the river near the family home, which she cites as another of the seminal influences behind her lasting fixation on dots. That reminds me of like when you were a kid, did you ever just like close your eyes and look for the dots underneath your eyelids? Mm-hmm. And when you They'd rub like, them, it would kind of look like uh-huh. a disco, like different patterns. Yeah, and then it would like change colors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She talks about a trauma that happened in her family's flower field. Quote, I was surrounded by so many flowers. When I looked around, I saw flowers everywhere. It was a sense of being obliterated by flowers. That's so beautiful and sad at the same time. Much of her work looks to recreate that. It is literally an experience of being lost. When she was 13, she describes how they were forcefully involved in the war. 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 Oh my god. War. <laughs> involved in the war. Oh my god. War. <laughs> this isn't a difficult word. In the war. Uh, I wanted to specify for you this is World War II, just oh, so you know. Thank you. Thank you. I was unaware. <laughs> Boys were drafted to be soldiers, and the girls had to work in military factories to make things. Yayoi was forced into a factory to sew parachutes. Even at a young age, she was vocal about being anti-war. At around 20, she leaves home to enter senior class at Kyoto Municipal School of Arts and Crafts, where she studied Nihonga, a Japanese-styled painting, and then she graduates the following year. Just like a side note, I will never do anything that has any Japanese words in it because it will be the worst uh, just experience of it forever. You couldn't say Nihonga? I mean, probably not to your liking and definitely not to George's liking. <laughs> definitely so, not. Just Mine's not, not going to do there. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nihon means Japan. Okay. So ga must be painting. I don't know. It could be some sort of kanji for that style of painting and then it's put together. I okay. don't know. That's good in there. Why don't they call Japan? Oh, do they call Japan? Nihon. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. So why is it called Japan? Because that's what we call it. That doesn't even sound like the same thing. We just made up a random ass name for Japan. <laughs> Mexico and Mexico sound very similar. <laughs> England to them is Igirisu. Oh, so they made up a random name mm-hmm. for England. But That's then, like, weird. Germany <clears throat> was like Deutschland or something. Yeah, that to makes Germans. sense. What? How? Wait, to Germans? Yeah. To Germans, it's Deutschland. Um, and then to, in Japanese, it's, what is it? Doitsu. Oh, so see, closer. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're just like, Germany. Germany. <laughs> I don't know. Something with a G. We don't have a G one yet. Should we just do Germany? That's fine. Anyways, it's not a Japanese lesson. So she came across 
Georgia O'Keeffe's work and believed she could be mentored by her. She ended up writing her a letter in 1955 or 56. The typewriter on the thing was hard to tell. So, 55 or 56. She sent several of her watercolor paintings along with the letter and just, like, sent it out and being like, hey, uh, I really resonate with (laughs) your work. Hey, (laughs) Georgia. What's up? She said, just like, I'm a Japanese painter. Like, this is what I'm doing reached out to her and I was like why don't more people do that there is no community very little communication like that where you just send maybe I'm wrong or like now it's too much like everyone does on Instagram and you're just like I'm not talking to any of these people (laughs) ever these are some of her samples of the watercolor paintings Mm. I don't know if these are the specific ones that she sent but these are the ones that popped up in the documentary when they were talking about it (laughs) They're very oceans of blue with these pinkish red spots in the center. Anemones coming out of all the edges. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what she did on the right one. It oh, almost yeah. looks like when you peel a Polaroid back and there's like the emulsion yeah. pattern. Yep. You know what it could be is like when you mm-hmm. put like a oh, paper. paper or something and pull and you... it back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then there's drawing and other stuff on top of it too. In the meantime, so she sent off this work to George O'Keefe and then... In the meantime, she had an exhibit in Matsumoto City at a gallery space above a theater. And her now best friend, Akira Inuma, he helped her hang the show. And he said no one came to see her work. (gasps) But he was like, no one recognized her talent. He was a huge fan of her. So along with having no one show up to her exhibit, her mom was constantly pressuring her to become a housewife and marry into a wealthy (laughs) <laughs> she's just her mom's the, the worst, worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh like yeah. you mom how'd that go how'd that go with your husband <laughs> get out of here so and then to marry into a wealthy family she actually took away her canvases and her paints the mom did okay wait let's have a little compassion for the mother really quick okay her background, her generation, her culture, everything. She was just trying to save her daughter from being homeless and hungry and dying. Like she was just trying to protect her in the only way that she knew how, which was super problematic, but didn't know it at the time. Mm-hmm. So she was getting many marriage proposals. I can because... tell that just by looking yeah. at her face. <laughs> <laughs> but she rejected them all because she wanted to be a painter. That's cool. It's like, no. And she's no. like, plus I don't like sex because... So these are some of her works that she was making back in the day. It's, you know, a lot of dots still and patterning and... I don't know how to explain it either. Look on our Instagram. I guess you're just going to have to look on the Instagram. <laughs> um, then Georgia wrote back. <laughs> Two years later. That's how long the post took <laughs> yeah. to get back to her. Um, she talked about how it's hard to make a living as an artist and that she's just going to have to find her way. But she did try to find her exhibitions to be included in, which I thought was very sweet. So sweet. Georgia told her to come to the U.S. to bring her work and be unafraid to show it to anyone. Mm. That's good advice, I would say. Yayoi said, at the time, there were heavy regulations on dollars and yen, and it was prohibited to send money from Japan to the U.S., I burned about 2,000 paintings by the riverside and told myself that I would paint much better than these. That was such a a cool move. Could you imagine just burning all of your work? What I'll make in the future is going to be better than this. And then it's not. And then you're just like, (laughs) why did I? (laughs) 
<laughs> That'd be my fear. I'll just bury these somewhere and come back to them. <laughs> X marks the spot. Yep. It's right here, so I'll come back to it later. It's all just dirty um, afterwards. Look at how cute she is in those hats She's and sweaters the I don't and like fur coat in New York. She was made to be there. Look at her. With that, the bangs and the bob. She definitely is like a great wearer of bangs. Mm. And hats. I wish I could yeah. pull off those big hats. Look at that like gigantic that. hat. It's like as big as her whole face. I know. <laughs> it's like a double face. And that like shaggy hair sweater. Mm. Ugh. It's the best. She's so cool. When is this? 58? Okay. And serious portrait face. Forever. Have no- I've never even seen her smile actually. I don't think she does. <laughs> She's like, oh, no one will see. Is that too sad? Yeah. That's <laughs> really sad. <laughs> she probably smiles. Yeah, sure. Maybe she has like weird oh. teeth or something, you know? Sometimes people don't show their weird teeth. They're like mm-hmm. self-conscious. Just insecure. Yeah. She doesn't sad. look insecure to me. No. She looks fine. So she moves to New York City in 1958. It was said that she came to the U.S. with dollar bills sewn into her kimono. Kusama moves to New York in June, enrolling in the Art Students League of New York in order to obtain a student visa. But she's coming on to the New York art scene. How is that a full sentence? <laughs> you were trying to be talky like a like a documentary. You were watching a documentary. And you I was were... literally just <laughs> typing word for word. This is just a transcript. <laughs> <laughs> oh how about we just play the documentary as the podcast and then just me adding in things we just pause it okay. and then add that's basically what this is <laughs> um so women are being included in group shows but not solo exhibitions because it's the late 50s and what do women know about anything women aren't really people even they don't no. have brains yeah not even female dealers would show women that's how bad it was and not only was she a woman but she was a japanese woman so they were taken even less seriously Mm -hmm. because i don't know if it was because of this but at this moment she began wearing kimonos on special occasions there's this picture of her where she's wearing one at the guggenheim and she said i was really poor at the time every day i was drawing and painting that's when i was very fulfilled my goal was to create a new history of art in the usa the origin of the infinity nets painting was the pacific ocean based on looking at the water from an airplane and seeing the ever-expanding nets on the ocean oh my god the nets being like the water uh-huh. texture yeah so this is what started her circle that's so you know cool. her like tight circle paintings mm-hmm. so this is one from 1958 which is very like white and light bluey it's really pretty her friends would ask her why she kept painting dots and infinity nets and she said but i never listened to them i just kept trying to make my own world <laughs> they were just asking and she's like i'm not listening to you <laughs> yeah. they're just like no i just want to know why no 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 <laughs> She would go to openings at galleries and ask people, is there an important man here at this opening? I need to meet him. Show me where he is. Damn. All right. Yeah, she was very determined. She was aggressive and blatant, and she was going to find someone to support her practice. That's how you have to do it, unfortunately. I hate that so Mm -hmm. much. Yeah. Like my friend Gandhi right now, he's just like, I need to find a gallery to represent me. 
And he's like, I'm just approaching literally everyone and asking them. And I'm like, how come I haven't done that? <laughs> but then you hear the know. gallery side and then they're like, don't approach us ever. I guess so, yeah. The whole thing is just the worst. So <laughs> I know. So. Okay. I All guess right. just be more like. Be aggressive and blatant. So you go in. I don't know who she was asking. Also, was look like this, like, I think. Yeah. It's part of it. If you're in 1958 right? and you're aggressive and blatant, you have to look like this. Yeah. Look at how he's looking at her. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So smitten. He is smitten. He is smitten. And she's um, just like, I'm using you. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. smiling there. Oh. So she would get men to supply her with materials, equipment, or an apartment. Oh. Or just a bed sometimes, maybe. <laughs> Which, like, this is where I felt very conflicted, where I'm like, she's Oh, you tell me making yeah. it. She's, she's getting what she wants in New York. Like, she's getting materials. She's getting a place to stay. She's figuring her way out. At the same- I think if you just don't even put any words around it and you put yourself in her shoes as her, she didn't have another option. She could not be a painter and support herself and... Or she could just do it this way and get what she wanted and move on with her life. And that was just most important to her. So she wasn't even thinking about how it was seen or no, anything. She, just she was like, I'm getting got what, what she I needed. Want. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and this is this cool portrait of her sitting on a ladder painting this massive painting. Ooh. She did everything there was to get ahead. She was trying to get into Sydney Janis, the number one gallery at the time. One one day, one of the boys there, I guess, <laughs> said to Ed Clark. <laughs> one of the boys? Uh-huh. <laughs> they just said, one of the boys said to Ed Clark, quote, I think your friend just sent some paintings over. And Kusama had sent her paintings to the gallery, and then they refused them and sent them back. And then four hours later... A woman comes into the gallery asking to see her paintings, and Yayoi oh had God. told them she's in the gallery. Can you she's amazing. Being she's so amazing. So bold. And then the gallery looks stupid, and they have to be like, uh, 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 uh. It's like, so I don't know, sending your paintings to Hauser and Worth or Blum and Poe, and then just sending someone. George and I were talking about this, being like, do you think this could be a business where people like send? people into galleries asking to see certain people and if there's enough of a hype that you build around an artist they actually start looking into them i'm sure they would that's a great idea (laughs) let's start (laughs) it go yep i thought that's so funny like the way her brain works is hilarious to me she just doesn't care she'll do any and she doesn't think that her painting like she doesn't see her paintings as being these like uber precious things where she's just like sending them out and like burning them sending them like get trashed you know mm-hmm. well she already like, burnt oh, everything she had yeah so, you know what else i think i don't hmm. think she had any respect for her dad or men in general so i yeah. think that she saw them as pawns and she didn't give a fuck if they were offended that she sent her paintings like who right. cares that's true yeah mm-hmm. i have too much respect for my dad <laughs> me too he's a good one <laughs> <laughs> I just wish I'd been traumatized more <laughs> so that I could make good paintings. If I had trauma and went to Yale, maybe I'd be somewhere. <laughs> Those are the prerequisites for being a good artist. <laughs> Ed Clark arranged. Ed Clark was the friend who was like, your friend dropped off some paintings. So 
He arranged for her to have a show at their co-op, Brata. It was located on 10th Street, in which is it was the birthplace of de Kooning and Klein. Fancy. Uh, Donald Judd reviewed the show, saying Yayoi Kusama is an original painter, going on to really praise her work. Hmm. And um, if you didn't know Donald Judd, of course, being an artist, but he was also a very respected critic as well. Here's a close-up of the paintings, which are so pretty and globular. I did not expect that. I thought they were just flat. I know. Textured. Okay. Globby, globby. (laughs) Globby, glab. Globby is actually the perfect word. I can't think of a better Mm -hmm. word. And kind of swirly. Like a swirl and then a glob and then a swirl. Like with your paintbrush and then glob. You know? (laughs) So she. Sh- what is this now? She showed up to Beatrice Perry's gallery called Gress Gallery in Washington, unannounced in true Yayoi fashion, with a man carrying in her paintings. The gallerist. <laughs> who was trying to get in her pants. The gallerist said they were hypnotic. She couldn't stop staring at them. And here's another beautiful photo of her surrounded by paintings and i don't know if this is just like a red toned photograph yeah, well, or what's happening or yeah. if someone doesn't know how to color correct or <laughs> yeah it looks like that <laughs> she was included in a japanese show in washington at Gress gallery in 1960 other than kusama who was female and completely unknown everyone else was male and quite famous Wow. Uh... after the show opening she sent this letter to the gallery ready yeah dear mrs perry in the recent exhibition of six Japanese painters, I was extremely disappointed and humiliated by the hanging. Not only were the number of paintings disproportionate, but their locations further divided rather than integrated the show. My dignity as an artist has been wounded. I would greatly appreciate the return of all unsold paintings to the Stephen Radich Gallery in New York. Yours truly, Yayoi Kusama. My mouth is a gape. <laughs> you know what? She's Cliff. She's like, I want my paintings yeah. in a room by themselves, and I don't want to be seen near anyone else. I want my she own just, museum. She thinks of herself and her work so highly, which I so respect. Like, I would be honored if my work was in the bathroom. I know, right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Like, anywhere, anywhere. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, where you hung them is not okay. How many of mine are here is not okay. Even though she's completely unknown and everyone else is famous. Yep. That's like me being like, look, Injadeka's piece was in front of <laughs> mine in the in the museum. So, in 1961, Frank Stella <laughs> said he was seeing Yayoi's work in all the galleries in New York. Because apparently her tactics are working. Yeah. He particularly fell in love with a black and yellow one because he said it looked like New York with like the asphalt Mm. and the taxi cabs and everything. He couldn't stop thinking about it. And he asked, he asked how much it was going for. And they said $75, which he said seemed like a lot. (laughs) What? Yeah. Oh, how much was that back in the day? I have no idea. Um, But he, so he said he would think about it and he all week he just couldn't get it out of his mind so he agreed to it and paid 25 dollars a week for it oh in installments yep then she was invited to meet joseph cornell who's a reclusive artist 
she said, the gallerist wanted to buy one of his works, but he didn't like selling to galleries. Mr. Cornell asked to have a beautiful woman introduced to him. Then he would sell his work. Every day he would do telephone attacks, so it was a lot to handle and he wouldn't give up. So basically, this gallery, or the gallerist, used Yayoi as this pawn to bring this beautiful woman to Joseph Cornell, to meet him, to fulfill his needs, to fulfill their needs of acquiring his work. I don't like anybody in this situation. (laughs) Also, if you're telling me that Frank Stella can't afford a $655 painting... Is that what Which is how much is? it's worth? Then you're <laughs> bullshitting me. You're Frank Stella. Maybe, Maybe he, was he wasn't young. the Frank Stella back then. I guess. All right. So Joseph would call Yayoi all the time. They would talk on the phone and she <sighs> would tell him that she would have to go. And he would say, no, no, just put the phone down and I'll wait for you. Ew, so she, she, she said she would put the phone down, go out, completely forget about him, come back hours later after running errands. No way. See the phone, pick it up, and he'd be there waiting for <gasps> Okay, this is when you call the police and you say, I have <laughs> no. a stalker. Oh go. my God, what a creep. It gets so So he wrote her lots of love songs to her one day he sent 14 letters to her almost breaking her post box oh my god and eventually they went out no i know you don't reward this behavior no absolutely not also we didn't see this coming they're like please you need to introduce me to a woman a beautiful Mm -hmm. woman like of course he's gonna be a crazy he was just relentless, would call her every day, all day, just obsessive. Gross. And she said, he didn't like sex and I didn't like sex, so we didn't have sex. I was cute and lovely and always dressed nicely, so I stood out. So people would stop and look at us like, who is that couple? <laughs> who is this <laughs> frog with with this cute and lovely? And this is them. Do- oh my. No wonder. Did she just live off of him for the rest of forever then? (laughs) Ew. uh, That looks like my grandfather. Wait a second, wait a second. He didn't like sex. What did he need then? He just wanted her to be cute next to him? She's hugging him like she might actually... I don't know. I can't tell the look on her face. She's like... So he lived with his mother and disabled brother, taking care of them both after his father passed away. And one time when they were kissing in the garden, his mom came <gasps> from behind what? and dumped a bucket of cold water on Yoyoi. What? How messed up is that? How and many Joseph- people are coming from behind and trying to mess with her? <laughs> she must never. It's like be PTSD to- for her. Yes, yeah. She's like always looking behind her shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't blame her. Um, Plus, and you're then kissing Joseph- this old grandpa dude, and then you right? gotta be assaulted <laughs> assaulted from the front and the and back, back. <laughs> assaulted on all sides all for painting um and then joseph didn't apologize though to yoyoi but rather to his <gasps> mother oh my god so she ends up leaving him to commit to her painting but he still called her almost every day sorry mom that i have this beautiful wonderful younger woman with me that i'm kissing I would never apologize to my mother in that moment. I'd be like, mom, do you see any other world where this is possible and you're trying to ruin it for me? Look at her. Get out of my face, mom. I'm taking care of you. It sounds like they all had stuff going on. 
She was doing many net paintings still. One, even 33 feet long, which is right below. You can see her standing next to it, which just looks like she's standing next to a wall. Yeah. But it's a net painting. (laughs) Nice. A friend suggested she go see a psychiatrist because she worried about her health all the time. And in doing Freudian analysis, there was the belief that she had some trauma in her childhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> trauma <laughs> doesn't just take throughout Freud her entire to figure life. that out. Yeah. <laughs> the whole, the um, whole thing was very messed up. So specifically describing coming across her father in a compromising situation. That's all that they said. So I don't know if that's when he was having sex with other women or a different compromising situation. Was he I don't know how many compromising. Who was compromised? And the response to those traumas is usually a repetitive, obsessive focus on the object of your fear. And for Yayoi, that fear was sex. She was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive neurosis. In 1963, she began making her, quote, psychological problems into art. Enter penis chairs. Ooh. Oh, my. <laughs> this is like what I wanted to make when I was in college, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yep. At Green Gallery in 1962, she was in a show with Donald Judd, Andy Warhol, Klaus Oldenburg, and yet the most attention-grabbing piece was Yayoi's couch. Made of penises? So Klaus Oldenburg had a stiff suit piece made out of paper mache. He wasn't doing soft sculpture at the time. You see in this picture, it's like this huge tie jacket thing. Mm -hmm. Then a show in September, it was all soft sculpture works. And his wife, his wife, quote, and his assistant even came up and apologized. (gasps) This really discouraged Yayoi. And this is one of his soft sculpture pieces. And the soft sculpture is like a calendar, but it looks very similar to how she constructed her penis chair. Then in 1963, Gertrude Stein Gallery, um, and then also in 1963, she's granted permanent residency in the U.S. Okay. So at Gertrude Stein Gallery, she's covered a boat and the oars with her soft sculpture penises and then covered the entire gallery space the walls on the floors in a photograph which looks like a xerox copy of the boat itself and this had never been done before wow then andy warhol came and saw the show saying wow fantastic i like this so much next thing you know he's covering his show walls with the cow image oh my god god damn it warhol i'll never at look at point- swingers again <laughs> the same i know <laughs> you're like yeah you at- gave you this idea thievery all around just Mm -hmm. being betrayed left and right at this point she became very depressed and stayed inside her studio even covering up all her studio windows Mm. that is a cool picture of andy warhol though (laughs) 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 Um, so at castellane gallery in november of 1965 she has this show called floor show um in 65 and in 66 one called peep show so floor show you is like i think you can peek into and this is the one where there's dotted like polka dot penises on the floor and then peep show which is a light one is octagonal room covered in mirrors with openings to stick your head in the ceiling was covered in lights that were all colorful and changing patterns like carnival style this was happening during our world's obsession with space and infinity and she caught on to that 
So here's some photos of different patterns and everything. And she even did this film where her and another guy were in there like dancing and naked and sticking each other with sticky dots all over their body. Nice. She wearing a cowboy hat? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just want to be as cool as she is. I know. Without all the trauma, I would prefer no trauma, but... Lucas Samaris, about seven months after Yayoi's Infinity Mirror Room, he shows a room-like mirrored environment at Pace Gallery, and unlike anything he'd made okay. previously. He needs to be punched in the face. He wasn't even <laughs> so here, trying to make it his own. No, so here's his mirror room. I feel like I've been in the, in one of these, and I bet it's not. Denver Museum probably, had yeah, a hallway. She's made, she's made many of them. But it looked like this one with many. It was mirrors on mirrors. There was no lights in it. Maybe it was this one. I don't know. Okay. It wasn't so this she, one, but yeah. Okay. She said, I became so depressed one day. And the next day I became more depressed. And then I just jumped from the window. <gasps> if I had landed on my head, I would have died. But there was a bicycle and oh I fell on God. it. What? How high up was her window? I don't know. Oh my God. In 1966, she went to Italy to put her work in the Venice Biennial. To be clear, she wasn't invited. So oh, I didn't expect ordered, that she was. <laughs> yeah, she ordered 1,500 mirrored balls and placed them in front oh of the God. Italian pavilion without invitation, oh with a sign saying, quote, you can buy your narcissism. Here's uh, photos of it. So she's in this like grassy park knoll. With a sign that you can buy it for, I think it was... Are people paying her? Yeah. Oh, my God. Buy, I think it's like $2. Yeah. So selling her work for a few dollars to anyone walking by was very subversive, especially during the biennial, where art is supposed to be expensive and out of reach. The officials asked her not to sell them, and she responded with, why can't I sell my art like ice cream or hot dogs? After she's asked to leave, she gets rid of the kimono and begins lying within the work in her red leotard, which is another kind of iconic look of hers. Yeah, like in the penis room. Yep. She knew what would get attention. She knew what the public was interested in and always moved in that direction. So she was really good at creating that spectacle and like what people would be drawn to, what would photograph well, like all of that. She was mm. just very attuned to. She is so cool. Yeah, here's her in her red leotard lying in her silver balls. So then there's this MoMA happening. Oh, yeah, this is when happenings were happening. Mm-hmm. That's what she said about MoMA. Quote, what's modern here? I don't see it. While the dead show dead art, living artists die. Mm. <laughs> About, like, the work in MoMA. So this was a protest against the closed-minded system of the museums. And uh, she brought in these people and they were naked and supposedly they were like having orgies or like mimicking orgies or something um, in this fountain. This is the same title of the article about Klaus. But is it art? Yeah. That one? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's questioning what art is all in the, the time. In the 60s especially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we thought it was paintings. Yeah. And everyone's like, nope. what is happening here? <laughs> Um, so other happenings she did were new dance performances where she painted dots on the dancers. She also performed gay marriages. She created a film called Kusama's Self-Obliteration where she covered herself in dots. I think they were stickers, um, until she completely, quote, like, disappeared. 
and as well as her environment, like a horse and trees and painting drops in a pond and lake, like she was just dotting everything. Um, and she said, quote, the universe is full of nothing, ever expanding and ever destroying itself. Just like a drop that falls in water, I completely disappear in the universe. I seek the energy of life and turn that into art. This film that she made called Kusama Self-Obliteration won at the Belgium Film Festival. She had a screening in New York City. There was a performance with a band playing music and people undressed and were dancing around while Yayoi was painting on them and basically turned it into this like dance party. Was she even entered in the Belgium Film Festival? <laughs> she just showed up. In New York in 1968, she did many anti-war happenings with several thousand people alongside her. She did naked happenings too, in which she was highlighting these beautiful bodies that didn't belong in war. So news about these naked performances made its way back to Japan and people began attacking her for it, calling her the shame of Matsumoto City. Oh, no. Or a woman like that should be killed. Whoa. Yeah. Too her far. name was removed from the alumni list at her high school. Her parents were so ashamed that every day that the magazines would be released at bookstores, they'd show up and buy them all and hiding them in her, their house. In 1973, she returned home to Japan after being depressed by the system supporting white male artists. Who can relate to that? <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, has it changed? No. It was a bold move, though, because she was basically starting over. She wasn't known there. Most of her work was in Europe and New York City. But now she's also a middle-aged lady. Like, she's not this cute young woman. Um, and she's trying to make a name for herself. And people weren't sure how seriously to take her. She said that Japan treated her like a very scandalous presence. Journalists wanted to portray her in a very negative way. She lost her father. Her mental health was not being addressed appropriately. And she said, It was as if an invisible curtain rolled down and I felt separated from my surroundings. And then when I was drawing, the drawing would expand outside of the canvas to fill the floor. And when I looked in the distance, I would see a hallucination and I would get surrounded by that vision. Because my childhood memories were traumatic, I became very depressed. I couldn't paint anymore. And then I tried to commit suicide. Kusama finds a hospital where the doctor is interested in art therapy. And in the safety of this environment, she began to work again. This time in collage because of the ease of that medium. But they're also super dark, not surprisingly, with many titles relating to death or the end of life cycles. There's lots of like nature related things like butterflies and flowers and birds. And again, lots of like patterning and line work and dots and things like that that she adds to them. So she was misunderstood in Japan. People were basically scared of her. And she was almost completely forgotten about in New York City by How? now. How could you forget about that? I don't understand. And then by this time, no museums or galleries in New York had shown her work for over 20 years. Oh, 20 years is a long time. Yeah, it's not like she just moved and they're like, who's Yayoi? Yeah, five years later, don't know her. Frank Stella's like, well, I have this painting. <laughs> I only paid $600 for it. Does anyone want it? <laughs> He's just trying to pawn it off on the side of the road. <laughs> no, he probably burned it and buried it. And That's true. 
if she turns out to be famous, I'll dig it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in 1989 in Tokyo, Alexandra Monroe saw a show in Japan at the Fuji TV gallery of her work in the 80s. And then she decided that she needed a show in New York. So she went to Japan to collect all the posters, the photographs, the papers, publicity, all that. And since there was a lot of nudity, customs thought that she was carrying pornography (laughs) back to the States with her. And she had to argue with customs that like, no, this is actually art. Wait, is it illegal to take pornography on the plane? I don't know. We're in 89? Here's the show at the Fuji TV gallery of her work. So it's like starting to really turn into sculptures. There's like the first pumpkin painting that we see. I've Um, never seen these sculptures. They're crazy looking for people. They're like gigantic, thick, floppy sunflowers kind of mm -hmm. red. One in the center almost looks like a swarrow cactus. Is that how you say that word? Oh, yeah. The cactus kind of where it's like straight. And then like arms, but then on top of each one is like a like a fat droopy sunflowery kind of bulb thing. That's a good description. Yeah, thank you. There's four of those. One's more like a bush, and then three of the big sunflower mm-hmm. sculptures. And everything's turning into yellows and reds. Yeah, basically. In 1989, Alexandra Monroe curated the exhibition at Center for the International Contemporary Arts titled. Yayoi Kusama, a retrospective. Kusama had not been to the U.S. since she left in 1973. They attempted a full retrospective going back to her early watercolors from the 50s, and she was finally being recognized again. In 1991, the artist fully realized the sculptural capabilities of the squash when she opted to incorporate it into one of her famous mirror rooms. Wait, how old is she in 91? When was she born? 1929. That's old. I don't want to wait that long for someone. I want to be mad. I'm just going to be like, none of you mm-hmm. cared. None of I you. I know. I'm for out. 20 years, no yeah. one cared. <laughs> yep. So here's her first pumpkin Aww. mirror room. And you can see like these are much more like handmade. They look kind of like yeah. paper mache-ish. Yeah. Where now they're like... Fabricated. Fabricated. So... The foreign minister appointed one of Kusama's friends slash fans to be a commissioner for the Venice Biennial. But because she was living full-time in a psychiatric hospital, the government official was weary about sending her as a representative of the country. (laughs) Oh, no. This poor photo. um, Wait, how long was she in there? She was just living there full-time. Whoa. Why? So, why? Just because she feels it just felt she safe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in 1993, at the Venice Biennial, the proposal passed, and she went to Venice. Yay. Before Kusama, Japan had always shown two to three artists at a time, but the commissioner knew she needed a solo show. It was the first mm. solo show in the Japanese pavilion, and the first woman. Dude, she was shame afraid. of what? Shame of nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge now, bitch. <laughs> Said her to literally everyone before she went back to Japan. <laughs> She's just walking around <laughs> Tokyo saying that to everyone. And the- <laughs> That's why they put her in like, the psychiatric okay, yeah, hospital. Yeah, you come with me. <laughs> Ah, just going after people shame of what with pumpkins and dots all over her she's naked 
Oh my god. <laughs> oh. Um so she was afraid of having a nervous breakdown, so a psychiatrist came to Venice with her and stayed in the room next door. So next door, this room, stay in the same room. It was just personal boundaries, I guess. Okay. Um. So this the this is there's so a mirror, beautiful. Yeah, there's a mirror box in the room, but the floors and the walls are ye- and the ceiling is yellow with black polka dots. So the mirrors mm-hmm. are like that. So it's just like a yellow room with black polka dots everywhere and she even has a yellow and black polka dot like robe and wizard hat oh my god the wizard hat yeah it's it's like a it's like a rain dress Mm -hmm. like a rain jacket dress with a rain jacket wizard hat that's polka dot Mm -hmm. the polka dots are two two different sizes inside the mirror box is that pumpkin room oh okay in 1994, Kusama again turned to sculpture as a means of channeling her love of pumpkins. This time, a massive freestanding sculpture perched at the end of a pier on Naoshima, an island known for its modern art museums, architecture, and sculptures. This island was where George had was planning on proposing to me. I know. I know. It's so sad. That would have been so cool. <laughs> you could um, climb up on top of it and he could have proposed right on top of that pumpkin. Wait, did she ever talk about the pumpkins? Like why she's so drawn to pumpkins? I think it was just one of those repetitive shapes that she saw in her hallucinations with oh. like flowers and pumpkins and dots. Yeah. Okay. This area, this like art island museum is super iconic in Japan, but specifically like this pure pumpkin. Yeah. Then in 1997 at Rice Gallery, she created this new installation of her critically acclaimed work, Dots Obsession, 1997, specifically for the Rice Gallery. The entire gallery was transformed into a vivid yellow dreamlike space filled with Kusama's signature polka dots and large anthropomorphic balloons of yellow latex also covered in dots. Mm. And again, it's yellow and black polka dots. Oh my goodness. So you're just like a little tiny ant in these like huge penis balloons. balloons. (laughs) Yeah. Like yellow balloons in a yellow room all covered in black polka dots. Then in 2002, they built Matsumoto City Museum of Art in her hometown of Matsumoto City. That she's the shame of. That she's the shame of. No longer. Up till this point, she had a very sour relationship (laughs) with her hometown because of the embarrassment they caused her. When the museum opened, Iuma, her friend slash fan, Mm -hmm. was a city council member and pushed for her work to be in the museum. Now it's a place where you can seek her work. Like, all the... Whoa. All the time it's there. Yeah. Kusama said, I was finally able to bring home the crown. Oh. And then this chills. is the museum website where you log on and it's like, oh my God. Nothing but her work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ha ha. So they have this huge. This like, must not be rural. Look at this museum. This is a nice museum. Yeah. It's like a big. I mean, it's like a city. Yeah. It's a city, okay. but it's like not Tokyo. Well, yeah, but it's know. still a city. Yeah. Inside they have. A collection of her work obviously on the outside it's like covered in polka dots and then there's a permanent sculpture right outside that are these like twisty kind of alice in wonderlandy looking flowers that are also covered in different colors and different colored polka dots yeah kind of like those other ones except more fabricated 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are like definitely not made by yeah. her. Yeah. Like she painted them, but they remain somewhere else. Then I had to take these screenshots of her walking to her studio because oh, look at how cute she's... she is. And she walks very like tipped forward and rigid. Uh-huh. Um, so, she doesn't look happy. She looks mad. Her studio in Japan is two blocks from the hospital where she lives. So she walks over every day to work and then returns at night. Mm. And in this, she has her bright pink wig and um, this like bright pink polka dot dress, long dress with puffy sleeves. It's very cute. And then there's a picture of her next to one of her pumpkins, and she just mm-hmm. matches it. So cute. Yeah. <laughs> when she returned to Japan, she called her now best friend, who helped her hang her first show in the fifties, and they talk on the phone almost every day. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that the psychiatric hospital is a place that someone would want to live the rest of their life comfortably, knowing that they have a problem. Is mm-hmm. just amazing to me. Like, they yeah. don't make them that comfortable in other places like America. <laughs> they make no, it so that you, even if you need that help, you don't want to be there. Yeah, I think the problem here is like, that's not even o- an option for people, really. Mm-hmm. It's like, ever since deinstitutionalization, if you have any sort of mental illness, you either have to have the money to pay for that, to go see therapists or have you know, do something yeah. about it yourself on a regular basis. Otherwise, most of them end up being homeless, which mm-hmm. is not a solution. No, I remember reading studies where, so I was really interested in Thomas Kirkbride hospitals mm-hmm. and they were supposed, to, it was something like they were supposed to be able to house 400 people, but with overcrowding, they were fitting thousands of people in these oh. buildings. So then people weren't getting the care that they needed. Oh, just because it was um, bad conditions, but not because yeah. it was intended that way, just because yeah. they didn't there was, do anything about it. They had good intentions. Yeah. They were like, we're going to have, especially Thomas Kirkbride, which had the linear plan of everything of getting it was a moral treatment plan. So it was like, they're going to have fresh air. They're going to have light. They're going to have grounds to walk on. And it's going to look more like a like a hotel or a resort versus like people coming to a zoo, which used to be a thing back in the day. People used yeah. to take like Sunday trips with their families to come look at the crazy people. Yep. It was supposed to be about treating people humanely. Mm-hmm. And then with overcrowding, because it was such a was split it was such a need but at the same time you could get family members committed if you just didn't want to take care of them well yeah isn't that how the lobotomy started too like my son was not nice to me this morning and he's (laughs) like nine you're like uh well i guess we'll just fuck and they're so enthusiastic about it they're like yeah sure (laughs) we'll take him (laughs) sounds great um so yeah lots of problems but in shutting down all the hospitals like you're cutting off real need for real Mm -hmm. people so It's just super bummer. Aftermath of Obliteration of Eternity 2009 is a room of infinite shimmering lights. Guests step into an enclosed room to become immersed as an array of lights ignite a delicate mirage mirrored on every surface, representing the eternal cycle of life over the span of just under a minute. The space represents Kusama's lifelong obsession with the disillusion of the self into the infinite. So these are the, you know, the infinity rooms that everyone lines up to to take photos in. Yeah. Also, I'd like to say, I feel like even if we couldn't take photos of this, people would still line up to look at this. Like, we take photos of things that we think are amazing or cool or awesome, Mm -hmm. no matter what. But, like, I think 
even if that wasn't in the mix, people would still really want to see it. Queensland Gallery of Modern Art, November 2011 to March 2012. Look now, see forever. So this was a huge kind of body of work at this place. So there was this huge red room with white polka dots and the huge balloon shapes. Then there's this pumpkin room called Reach Up to the Universe Dotted Pumpkin, which is like silver reflected pumpkins and the holes are actually like punctured through. And then there's walls. Those are covered in mirrored dots. So then it's like a reverse instead of being lost in like color you're being Mm -hmm. lost in these reflections and then again there's these very fabricated colorful polka dot flowers um and then there's also this uh obliteration room that's just covered it's a like a living room space that's all Mm -hmm. white and then covered in rainbow polka dots but not um specific like our other ones it's the first time i've seen it be like on top of each other it's and seemingly yeah, it's random. literally like paint splatter but in color polka dots all over so mm-hmm. this is what's referred to as the obliteration room and then also in this same australian show is all of these very colorful paintings <gasps> Ooh, these look so yeah. different i really like these um she so she paints daily and this selection of paintings on canvas is drawn from a body of a hundred works she produced as a challenge to herself over an 18-month period in 2009 and 10, a staggering production rate. After a monochromatic ground is prepared, the canvases are laid flat on a wood workbench with the artist painting around them from the sides rather than in a position directly in front of an upright surface. Um, Her works have become more colorful and full of fantasy. She never does any drafts or plans, but rather comes up with something in the moment. I like how they're yeah, home. Just like right next to each other. Uh, and like mm-hmm. the bottom, the bottom is, is all uniform. So the top's all like. Er, 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 er. They kind of look like mm-hmm. patchwork and quilts and then also kind of cellular. Yeah, that one looks yeah. like germs. And then also kind of like hippie dippies with like crazy cult, like eyes. Lots of eyes. Mm-hmm. These look so mm-hmm. different. Oh man, you could still be old and like growing and changing and they're and super colorful they're awesome. like hippie neon greens and yellows and oranges and reds and blue like again i'm listing colors of the rainbow the rainbow <laughs> <laughs> but everything they're just like bright they're like, so cool yeah in 2016 and 17 she debuted two new pumpkin themed mirrors titled all the eternal love i have for the pumpkins and the spirits of the pumpkins descended into the heavens In addition to illustrating her lifelong love of pumpkins, these installations draw on several of Kusama's characteristic themes, including infinity, the sublime, and obsessive repetition. There's another light or mirror room called Where the Lights in My Heart Go from 2016, which is a 10 by 10 foot polished stainless steel room with a mirrored interior. Small holes in the wall and ceiling allow natural light to penetrate the darkened room. Multiplied by the reflective mirrored surfaces, these pinholes of light create an immersive kaleidoscope experience inside the room. Wow, there's no light yeah. in it. Just like... This is my favorite one. It's yeah. the most beautiful. Pinhole one. I really like it. And then this is from... Made in 2019, 2020. Ooh. And it's work called My Eternal Soul. 
and clouds, which is very different than everything before. It's okay. all black yes. and white and silver sculptures. I so like, like those silver sculptures. Totally removed of color. And um, the, the paintings still look like her patterns and stuff. Just like if you took the saturation, you just went down to black and white. Yeah. Yeah. And then the sculptures. There's faces in it, though. Do you see these faces on the very left? Yeah, one? yeah. The sculptures look like molten metal that have gathered in little puddles on the floor. But there's like many little drips of them and like they've yet to group up into one big puddle. It's like, yeah, you dropped molten metal in a bowl of oil or something. Mm-hmm. There's like, bleep, bleep, yeah. bleep. And they make all these weird shapes. <laughs> um kusama i like the ones in the corners just like along the wall and then the corner Mm -hmm. so kusama started these works in 2018 when she was working intensively on a series of 100 by 100 centimeter paintings then she began making these paintings in monochrome a year later a huge contrast to her other paintings of the same series which are covered in bright vibrant colors these paintings feature bold black lines that envelop the canvas together with her wealth of varied motifs social media is a huge phenomenon that contributes to a lot of her success and i'm going to read it's a little long but from sarah boxer from the atlantic her review and experience of this so sarah said If there is a poster artist for the current participatory art craze, it has got to be Yayoi Kusama, whose exhibits, especially her infinity mirror rooms, have drawn record crowds around the world for the past few years. In her case, the challenge is not so much getting to the show, but getting into the show, and then getting into each individual room in the show. After you get your prized time slot, and good luck with that, you must wait your turn in not just one line, but six. Most of the infinity mirror rooms can fit two or three people and each has its own line to stand in. You get to spend a total of 90 seconds max in the room and on busy days I hear it's more like 30 to 60 seconds. Her shows are crowded because as many viewers will tell you you really have to see these works in person to appreciate them. No photograph, however good, can deliver the existential jolt of being there, seeing yourself repeated ad infinitum. At the same time, Instagram is helping to drive Kusama's popularity. It is the means by which people advertise to the world that they are among the precious few who have had this lonely experience of being one dot among millions. The visual proof has helped propel Kusama's work to the forefront of destination art in its latest form. One visitor to All the Eternal Love I Have for the Pumpkins reportedly tripped over one of the gleaming (gasps) pumpkins and damaged it while trying to capture a self-portrait in a mirror. What has become almost laughably clear is that Kusama's mirrored, uh, mirrored investigations into existentialism and infinity have become theaters of infinite narcissism. Like Gonzalez Torres's pile of candy, Kusama's work were created at least in part to deal with personal trauma, but they are also asking viewers to have their own experience. Surely Gonzalez Torres knew that some visitors wouldn't be thinking about AIDS while sucking on the pieces of candy they took from his pile, and surely Kusama knew that no one would experience her work as she did. In fact, maybe the distance between the sorrow and the silliness is part of the point. 
I do wonder, though, what in the world Kusama, who doesn't have a cell phone and doesn't do Facebook, Snapchat, or Instagram, would make of the circus that is Yayoi Kusama Infinity Mirrors? What would she make of the spectators so busy trying for the perfect selfie that they fail to feel any sense of existential angst or joy? I have a suspicion that she might smile. (laughs) Um, And then to end... She is technically now the most successful living artist, having had 5 million museum visitors since 2013. Wow. She's had many more iterations of her infinity rooms than I've listed and loads of work. You can surmise that based on her level of productivity that I have not covered everything. Um, So most of my work was done based on the documentary on Hulu called Kusama Infinity, but also my modern Met, the Gallery of Modern Art in Queensland, the Atlantic, Wikipedia, and probably a few other places <laughs> that I forgot Most, to list, Mostly just Hulu. Mostly, mostly Hulu. Um, and yeah. then right now, she has a show at the New York Botanical Gardens happening right now that occupies 250 acres in the Bronx and brings together large-scale installations as well as smaller paintings, sculptures, and drawings dating back to 1945. Her work takes up that much space? The Botanical Gardens. So oh, you're just saying of, the Botanical yeah, Gardens so all of, take up that much space. all over the gardens. Gotcha. And it's called Cosmic Nature, and it's on display until October 31st of this year. It's trees wrapped in red, kind of like red fabric or with like polka dots, um and it's her flower polka dotted sculptures and then there's this sun sculpture in in a fountain a polka dotted sun sculpture more flowers um she has her silver balls from the venice biennial Mm. back in the day floating in another pond then lots of works indoors so you know a great way for people on the east coast to go see her work or anyone willing to travel to the east coast so Go see Cosmic Nature at the New York Botanical Garden until October. Um, and that is Yayoi. Mm, I like her so much and I wish that life is so weird and hard. And I don't know why I feel so sentimental about baby Yayoi, but mm-hmm. I just, I know that life has to happen how it has to happen. And it informed her the rest of her life and clearly all of her success and stuff, but I also feel so sad for her and I just want to yeah. hug her. She really makes me realize that like we need to find our inner aggressive artist. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, truly though, who gives a shit? Yeah. I mean, I think she's really right and I think that that's hard for us because we're A, rule followers, B, introverted. At the same time though, I feel like a gallery would blacklist you if you like sent your work to them and then had people go in and be like my work's at this space and they you had nothing to do with them i feel like you'd be on some list of like do not work with this person maybe i don't know i feel like sometimes it's you can be rewarded for being so intense clearly like even you think of normal job situations the person who talks the most shit about stuff not sh- as long as it's not shit if that is the person who like makes it known and like bothers people yeah can i have that promotion now or whatever the first person you're gonna think of if they do good at their work the first person you're gonna think of is them yeah. because the person the other people even though they want it maybe never said anything mm-hmm. and so you don't really think of like 
just think of how brains work. Yep. You know, like they're you're just going to think of the person who said it to you first or the person who just mailed you some shit that you didn't want. <laughs> <laughs> or walked into the gallery uh-huh. with a bunch of men carrying your work. Especially in the art world, you could just name the piece. You could that could be like a ha- like a like a performative piece and just name mm-hmm. it like something about yayoi and then they would be right? interested. <laughs> also, side note, men stop stealing ideas. <laughs> men, I have many more messages for you. Would you like to hear them? <laughs> stop raping and killing people. Stop. <laughs> All of you, stop it. Man, I'm sad because I really liked Klaus's work and I wanted to do an episode on him. And now I'm a little annoyed by him. Well, when we get to his soft sculptures, we'll have something to say. That's true. Okay, anyways, this is getting long already. (laughs) (laughs) I love you all so much. Rate, review, subscribe. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something. Go see her show in New York. Hi, Brad. We didn't get to say hi to you. (laughs) I think Brad still likes us. I don't really know. He seems nice. Okay. Love you. Love you, Brad. Goodbye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.